This is Crewcast, a podcast all about the most infamous band in rock history, Motley Crue. Thanks for listening, Crew Head. Jason here with you. And of course, uh, hey, hit the subscribe button wherever you're listening if this is the first time. And if you're a frequent listener, do me a favor, share it with a fellow crew head, man. That's how I continue to to, uh, grow the podcast. This is all funded out of my own pocket, so I'm just trying to make things happen with my love for Motley Crue. And before I get into today's episode, part one, yes, part one of my countdown from least favorite to most favorite Motley Crue album of all time, I want to give a shout out. Did a Q&A on Spotify. If you listen on Spotify, I throw out Q&As and polls and stuff like that. What episodes you guys would like to hear. Well, last week, of course, was Rest in Peace Taylor Hawkins, a tribute to the late great drummer from the Foo Fighters band. Tough loss for the rock world. Can't imagine what his family, the band, and and my fellow Foo Fighter fans are feeling. And uh, had some cool uh, people reply. I threw out there, do you have a favorite Taylor Hawkins memory? And uh, Jerry Buster, he said, my all-time fave memory? Actually, I have two of them. Tay's drum solo at Hyde Park in 2006 and his 2019 Rock and Rio solo. Those uh, solos were absolutely mind-blowing, and I'll forever miss him. Rest in peace, Taylor. Dude, I I hear you, man. Uh, Another one. uh, This is interesting because I was at this show, too. Uh, Steven said, I saw Motley Crue and the Foo Fighters in the same night at K-Rock's, uh, K-Rock LA, their weenie roast event. Big radio station, if you're not in LA, familiar with it, they have a thing every summer called Weenie Roast. Uh, Steven says, was a kick-ass show. Yes, it was, dude. I was there too, a fellow crew head that was there that night. But of course, uh, the interesting thing was Foo Fighters went on just before the crew amazing set i mean fucking phenomenal and then the crew came on and they were having sound trouble and uh because of the connections i got to get that ticket i was like dude what you know what's going on they're like oh new sound guy so (laughs) during the show uh i if i remember correctly it was after girls 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 tommy got pissed off and threw his cowbell and vince neal goes uh, and a fan in the front row cowbell courtesy of tommy lee but man it was still such a cool show they blew up the stage played some uh, tunes they hadn't played in a while and that was just after red white and crew came out so it was cool to hear uh if i die tomorrow live and some other tunes that i was looking forward to man all right so here it is countdown from least favorite to most favorite motley crew albums the struggle with this of course how do you categorize a lot of them it's just like depending upon my mood or what it is you know sometimes i want to hear a compilation sometimes i want to hear a live album sometimes you know i want to go old school i want to go to the newer stuff so I had to make it a little easier on myself. I'm only doing the original releases of the studio albums. So no compilations, no live albums, no remasters with bonus tracks or anything else. I just went in the original form in which they were released. And it was tough because you come into the argument of, well, was John Karabi and Motley Crue really Motley Crue? Uh, what about when they got back together after, you know, so all kinds of different things that, uh, that I was faced with, but I'm able to break it down to nine albums and it really has to do with personal moments in my life when the albums came out, what the songs meant to me, seeing them live. So, you know, there's a lot of depth to it, but that was the, the paradigm that I was trying to figure out. 
how do I stay in this? Because if I go the live albums in compilations and all kinds of shit, I was going to drive myself nuts. And it was difficult enough just to break it down to the nine original versions of the studio albums. All right, let's start the countdown. Vince Neil, take it away. At number nine for me, Generation Swine. I know some people are freaking out like, hey, how do you not put the Motley Crue, Motley Crue album because Vince Neil wasn't it near the bottom? Well, for me, it wasn't. I'll explain more later. Generation Swine, of course, the seventh studio album by Motley Crue, June 24th, 1997. I picked it up that day. I'm sure you did. And it was the first album with Vince since 1991's Decade of Decadence. And the last for Tommy Lee until 2008, Saints of Los Angeles. It's also the band's last album on Electra Records. And we'll get more into diving into the albums as I do a full breakdown of each and every album for future episodes. But yeah, number nine for me. Reason being, I'm a Mick Mars dude. I am a huge Mick Mars fan. And this album just didn't feature enough of the brilliance of Mick for me. Of course, you know, they were working with Scott Humphreys at the time on this. Scott uh, was a guy that had worked a lot with Rob Zombie during this time. And even as Mick Mars says, you know, Scott was kind of a Pro Tools guy. He was a guy that did some of the mixing and some of those things. It, it was just a huge departure from Motley Crue. Of course, it had a lot of vibes that remind many people of Nine Inch Nails. And I have no problem with that. But for me, it pulled so much away from crew and relied more on a lot of electronics and, you know, a digital feel and things like that. Full of killer songs. I love Afraid. I love the Generation Swine song. I love the title song. Uh, Glitter, I think, is a cool track. Uh, Let Us Pray, Rocket Ship. I enjoyed them all. Of course, uh, you know, a cool different remake of Shout at the Devil, Shout at the Devil 97, which was dope because this song had much more of a percussive feel, and Mick did do some cool, interesting, different things. But this album, just for me, and I am a fan, I do go back and I still listen to this album. So again, this is my least favorite studio album in its original version. If we talk about the remastered version with some bonus tracks, it had some cool shit on it. Like Wreck Me was a totally cool song. So if you can get a hold of or if your streaming platform has the song Wreck Me, I thought it was killer. I wish that it got on there, but it did not. So anyways, coming in at number nine for me is Motley Crue's Generation Swine. Number eight for me, from least favorite to most favorite, Motley Crue, Motley Crue. This is a kick-ass album, guys. It just really is. But I get, and for me, I can understand a lot of people, is it really a Motley Crue album? No Vince Neil in there, which I understand, but the album is just so fucking good. And John Karabi has such a phenomenal voice. So bonus things for me on this album was hearing Mick Mars work with another guitar player. Plus, it had a heavier, different edge to it. You could really hear the band overall stretch its legs, and there was a different volume, a feel, a vibe to just the musicality of how they played. Unfortunately, I never got to see this uh, incarnation of Motley Crue live at this time. I don't remember where the fuck I was then when it came out, but I just don't remember. 
Uh, anyways, uh, the album, which was recorded under the working title Till Death Do Us Part, was first released by the band after signing a $25 million contract with Electra Records, which they eventually got out of. And I did touch on that briefly in an earlier episode of Crewcast that you can go back and check out. But of course, following the success of Dr. Feelgood, Decade of Decadence, which, you know, cool compilation, but had some cool new tracks on it. This was one of the hard things for me. I ixnayed out any compilations in Primal Scream, one of my favorite crew songs of all times. But Motley Crue, they were going through some different paths. Of course, the music scene had really changed at this time. Of course, the grunge scene becoming more popular. You know, the band also, the original incarnation of the band, had just gotten off the road from touring Dr. Feelgood for years, for years. And really, the band probably needed a big break. So when it was uh, put together, of course, uh, John Karabi was the vocalist of the Los Angeles-based hard rock band The Scream. And he had such a killer voice. Well, John Karabi found out that Six was a big fan of The Scream's first record, Let It Scream. And so when they finally connected and were put together by former manager Doug Thayer, there you go. The album came together. Again, I won't get too far off into the albums. I just want to go with my personal feelings on this. And for me, number eight, Motley Crue, Motley Crue. Amazing freaking songs on it, though. I mean, Power to the Music, Uncle Jack, Hooligans Holiday still makes it into so many of my playlists. And my kids even really dig that track, too. Um, Poison Apples was another really cool song. Love Shine. I mean, it had so many damn good songs. I think the problem was, much like most of us, people accepting, hey, this is now Motley Crue. But if you really listen to it, take out the fact that you're thinking of it as a Motley Crue album. It is just a phenomenal record. And I tout this record forever that it was really just some brilliant music that was put together. But people had trouble getting around the exit of Vince Neil. Which, hey, so did I. What can I say? If I had to pick a favorite track off the album, Hooligans Holiday. Such a great single. Such a cool track. Oh, that Tommy Lee drum fill, right? So badass. Number seven, New Tattoo. Of course, the eighth studio album that Motley Crue did, released in 2000. It showed the band returning kind of to the early musical styles, right? The 80s, 90s vibe. Um, It was cool. Um, Of course, this one didn't feature Tommy Lee, so this kind of falls down the chart as well. But I'm such a fan of Randy Castillo, who stepped in on drums, uh, of course, formerly played with Ozzy Osbourne. I think I saw the crew several times on this tour. So I saw him play with Randy. Then the album came out. And of course, Samantha Maloney stepped in on drums. And we will talk about that a whole different episode for sure. But, um, you know, album artwork, cool stuff. I actually tried to get the uh, the logo, the dragon, tattooed on me. But because it had a uh, tattoo needle on it, where I was living at the time, no one would tattoo it on me. I guess they are all like, hey, where do you tat at? I'm like, I don't. And they're like, yeah, I'm not putting that on you. <laughs> so anyways, um, but the album artwork was uh, inspired by the cover of Bruce Dickinson's album, uh, Tattooed Millionaire, whose uh, title track is said to be about Dickinson's wife uh, cheating on him with Nikki Six, as revealed in The Dirt. So... Pretty funny shit, right? But uh, there are some cool tracks on it. It's a lot of fun. Um, For me, my favorite song, Punched in the Teeth by Love. 
I don't know why when that came out, this album came out, I'm pretty sure that I had went through a breakup or was in a difficult relationship, <laughs> as I often have been, with a, uh, a chick that I don't remember if she cheated on me or whatever or said she didn't well, immediately had a boyfriend, but there's just something about the grindy guitar, the, the Mick Mars guitar, the straightforward Nikki Six uh, bass line that just punched you. And this is one of the tracks that uh, the whole band actually wrote. Randy Castillo, Mick Mars, Vince Neil, and Nikki Six put together. Uh, the majority of the songs were not done by the whole band. This is the only song that Randy Castillo has a writing credit on the whole album. I mean, come on, how can you not love this vibe, Mick Mars, the way this song comes in? Just big drums, a thumping bass. No, no. Just that catchy chorus, that great bass line, you know, just a standard Nikki Six pocket bass line, a mixed guitar screaming, punched in the teeth. My favorite track on there, Hell on High Hills, totally cool song. I thought First Band on the Moon was really creative. And also the Tubes cover, White Punks on Dope, was a song that I remember hearing in my younger years, hearing a Motley Crue uh, cover of it. And it was pretty cool when they did it live. If you saw it, you know, Nikki and uh, Mick had Flying V guitars that they played. Well, Nikki bass, Mick guitar, of course. And it was just a lot of fun. It was really a great tour. It just had that rattiness and vibe of a Motley Crue album that I really dug. So that is my number seven. And my sixth favorite Motley Crue album, Saints of Los Angeles, released in 2008, June 24th to be exact, was a cool album. It was cool to hear the original crew back together do a full album. I visit this one frequently as well. Uh, of course, my favorite track off of the album, this killer groove right here, just a badass track, Motherfucker of the Year, just a cool song. My favorite off of the Saints of Los Angeles album. So many great tunes off of this one, of course, the Saints of Los Angeles, the title track, Down at the Whiskey, kind of that harkering back to the early parts of their career. Just Another Psycho is a great song. And, of course, Chicks Equal Trouble. How can you ignore that one? But the interesting thing about this album was that you already had the team of James Michael, DJ Ashbaugh, and Nikki Six working together. At this point, 6AM had already dropped their first album, The Heroin Diaries. And if you look at the writing credits for this, Nikki Six, James Michael, and DJ Ashbaugh are on every single song in this. Tommy Lee gets a writing credit, of course, for This Ain't a Love Song. Very cool tune. And um, that's pretty much it, other than Mick Mars on Motherfucker of the Year. Uh, of course, they worked with Marty Friedrichsen, a great producer, worked with so many different bands and different type of people. And this spawned on Crew Fest, which was really great to see. Of course, Buck Cherry, Papa Roach, 6 a.m., Trapped, uh, Hinder Theory of a Dead Man, and The Las Vegas. Tons of bands on this tour hopefully you saw it i did and it was a total blast so coming in for me at number six is saints of los angeles and i'm gonna stop part one right there of my countdown from least favorite to most favorite we'll pick it up next week and i will do my top five countdown from least favorite to most favorite Motley Crue songs to that number one album for me in my Motley Crue fandom. Thank you again for listening, my fellow crew head to Crewcast. 
Hope you enjoyed this episode. Please leave me some feedback, some suggestions. I will get guests in here. We're going to have all kinds of different stuff. We'll, we'll put song against song, album against album, more deep dives into each member of the band, individual projects, and so much more, including those monumental moments in crew history. The remaining albums, you know them, Too Fast for Love, Shout Out the Devil, Theater of Pain, Girls, 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 and Dr. Feelgood. Where will they fall in my top five? You'll have to check out the next episode, my fellow crew head, dropping on Mondays. Try to get these out for you guys by every Monday evening, so maybe you're home, you can chill, relax out, throw on some crew afterwards, and just have a kick-ass night. Don't forget, if you are listening on Spotify, I've got the uh, question up there, a little Q&A that you can answer only on Spotify. What are your top nine favorite crew albums if you take only the studio albums? Studio albums only. What are they least favorite to most favorite? I'll talk about it on the next crew cast. All right. Hey, please hit that subscribe button if you haven't. Wherever you're listening to the podcast, share it with a fellow crew head. And on that note, Jason saying crew heads are best. Fuck the rest.